This is Mackenzie Milton. This is Steve Levy from ESPN, and you're listening to One Night Stand. One Night Stand. Sem condição saque ter passeio. Just one night stand. This is one night stand. Presented by First Watch, the official breakfast and lunch sponsor of One Night Stand. What up, Night Nation? On today's show, we're gonna recap the 70 to 13 space game blowout versus Temple. Do a little ECU preview for the first time in quite a while. We're going to do a little rankings talk. And as always, Money Moose Picks, a Moose Mailbag. Speaking of, I'm here with Money Moose. UCF embarked on mission six of the annual space game as the owls from Temple invaded the bounce house. It didn't take long for John Rice Plumley to launch himself into the end zone from nine yards out for the first watch, first score. Congratulations to at City Till I Die for your correct guess. You have won yourself a $25 gift card to first watch. His second one. Launch. It, yeah, actually, I was going to say the first, first <laughs> ever two-time winner. Launch sequence was then initiated, and the Knights offense blasted off for 70 points and never looked back. Final score, UCF 70, Temple 13. That game was literally out of this world. JRP, seven combined touchdowns, four passing, three rushing. He won the uh, Manning Award for the best quarterback in the nation that week. Lights out performance. I don't even know where to start. Uh, <laughs> there's, it's just so normally like my notes are like half good stuff, half bad stuff, and I've got like one little thing scribbled down for bad stuff, and it's not even that bad. Um, I guess we'll start with, you know, another slow start. It was uh, it was kind of like the last couple games. You know, Temple starts off with a field goal, we score a touchdown, they score a touchdown, and then we punt. So it's ten seven, Temple. And then the rest of the game was a blowout. Uh, what what was kind of going through your mind at that point, though? Well, I mean, I thought the defense played basically the same script as the last, like, three or four games. Like, first drive, just literally give up everything. Just kind of see, like, what's going on. And this happened in the FAU. This happened in Georgia Tech. This happened... Yeah, what was the other no, game? no, it did. Uh, FAU, they scored 14 in the first quarter. Rest of the game, oh, SMU. zero. SMU, yeah. SMU, seven in the first quarter. Rest of the game, six, which the touchdown at the end didn't count. And then Temple, 10 in the first quarter. Rest of the game, three. You're right. Yeah, I mean, we just, it's like we want to see what they have. Yeah. We want to see them lay all their cards out. And em- empty the playbook. Temple, I mean, I thought EJ Warner looked pretty good the first couple of drives, and then like he was running for his life after that. Dude, he did. Um, he did, and I we was were, I was worried, just like I was for you know FAU and SMU. <laughs> and it, this might not show up in the box score, but you know we didn't get, have a ton of sacks, but I feel like we altered a ton of his throws, whether it being you know deflected or just the. Very, very predictable third down blitz from T Will, but it yeah. works. It forced him, <laughs> you know, it forced him to get the ball out either quickly or he was, you know, on the move 
and obviously that disrupted his throws. I think he's going to be a really good quarterback. Um, you know, just a true freshman. But one thing they did that was weird was they kept rotating in some other guy, and I, I don't know. I'm not a fan of that stuff. That I had like flashbacks of um, <laughs> haven't heard his name in so long. I can't even remember. Gatewood. Yeah, like Gatewood flashbacks. And it's just like, what are you doing? Like this guy's doing okay. He'd have like one play on first down. They bring in this other dude, second down, and then all of a sudden it's third and long, and you're expecting Warner to, you know, put the team on his back when he didn't even get a chance at second down. I don't know, but you know, at, like you said, after the first couple drives, and it was just a complete shutdown by the defense, and you know they they played immaculate, and then on the other side of the ball, the offense kind of did too. You know, a, after the start that I talked about, it was ten seven. Then we did touchdown, touchdown, punt. Three more touchdowns before the half, and then five straight touchdowns. So, <laughs> I mean, watching it on I mean, TV was more, just crazy. What more is there to say, John Rice Plumley, man? I, I I said this, I said this last week. You know that this was a slam dunk winner. Bet the house, UCF minus twenty three and a half, and and everything that it, I was reading, every stat, every indicator was showing that this was a slam dunk win. We're very lucky that we got another one of these because usually the model and predictor that I use is like only once a year. It really only comes up once a year. Yeah, the moo blessing. Uh, I, dude, that I, I give the blessing. I was shocked. But it just so happened that what's that? I was shocked when you uh, when you said that last week. You know, like I mentioned, we don't tell each other what we're gonna say, and when you brought that up, I mean, twenty three and a half. I don't remember another time when there's there was a spread that big and you were like yeah hammer UCF and honestly I was skeptical but right before kickoff I was like you know what man I trust the moo and uh you know thank you I I got my house back (laughs) so what did you think about Plumlee because it was just last game where I feel like we were you know saying how he wasn't that accurate and we still had some like wild throws they need Again, you know, at least this game, there were no wild throws. No, and there was a ton of accuracy. Continuing to throw the deep ball, even when we were up like 35 and 42, and just connecting, connecting, easy. He made it look so easy to the two to Hudson and, you know, O'Keefe. It just, is he finally here? So, a couple things. Um, I'll start with when the game was close. So I think on the first or second drive, there was a play where he got flushed out of the pocket. He was rolling to his left. Obviously, he's right-handed. And he threw a dime for a first down right on the sidelines. And I was like, that's a throw that he would have just completely sailed, you know, the first few games of the season. I think we're seeing huge progression in his development as, you know, an actual quarterback. And, you know, like you've been saying all year, I mean, he hadn't played quarterback for years. And... You know, you can practice all you want, but I think it's normal to kind of see a break-in period. You know, those overthrows and mistakes were, it's just normal. He just hadn't had a lot of game experience. And there was another one, too, where uh, it was that Bowser play where he was, I don't know, he was pressured, and then I feel like JRP that we saw in the first couple games would have just either tried to run or force a throw, and he knew that he had Bowser as, as his outlet kind of to the left and threw it to him. And that's the play where Bowser just went like straight up the sideline. Um, oh, I love that play. 
That was awesome. Dude, it takes him like 15 yards to get going. What, <laughs> once he's going, man. He's, he's like a, he's like a, tra- a straight wrecking ball. You ever seen like a train get going? Like it's like slow at first and then, you know, 60 miles an hour. And then, you know, if someone stops on the railroad tracks, you can't stop the train because it's it's got full steam <laughs> ahead. Uh, but to go back, you know, to what you were saying with the deep balls, those were awesome. And I feel like once we got up, it was like, you know, first or second play. We're just throwing it up there. And I don't know how accurate those were because those guys were so wide open that it didn't matter. You know, they could have been running under the bottom. They were great throws and plays. And I'm not I'm not trying to knock them here. I'm just saying, like, those guys were so wide open. And, you know, that's that's a nod to Gus right there because whatever they were seeing uh, defensively scheme-wise, they were just really able to exploit those um, deficiencies in the defense. And, you know, it just felt like, after I don't know, after we up like a, two touchdowns, it was just like oh, one play bomb, one play bomb. <laughs> and the next thing I know, yeah, it's like, that was that was pretty insane. And the seven total touchdowns, tying a school record, with Dante Culpepper being one of the other quarterbacks to do it. So just some incredible quarterback play. But we played good cop, now bad cop. These last few games have been, you know, against some pretty poor defenses. And they also have all been in the state of Florida. So if you bring in, like, a different kind of defense, like an ECU, for example, upcoming week, first real true road game, what kind of test do you think that's going to be for John Rice? So it's interesting you bring that up. SMU defense was 83rd in yards per play temple 72 in yards per play and ecu 75th surprisingly for a you know a team that looks maybe a little bit better on paper so i don't know and i'm not saying that this game is going to be a blowout but when you start to kind of dig into the stats i think that it might be a similar outcome you know having the home field advantage for ecu you know they're doing a uh, they're doing a blackout over there they're going to be hyped. They know it's the last time they're playing us. They haven't beat us in, you know, I don't even remember how many years. They had, you know, the 2014 Hail Perryman. I mean, they're out for blood. They're going to empty the playbook on us. You know, this is their game of the year. They're already out of the conference championship. So, so I, I, 2016 was the last time that they beat us. And also the spread, which is now down to minus five, is the shortest line that we have had since 2016 the last four or five years we've played them we've all been double digit favorites and this used to be you know the rivalry back in the day oh conference even usa before, even right before you know we started going to schools like when we were in conference usa like i feel like other than usf east carolina and you know maybe marshall were like our two biggest rivals, but I always remember the East Carolina being a huge rival and they still remember that. Definitely. This is also, you know, Holton Naylor's last game last year. I think it's been like his fourth (laughs) or fifth, (laughs) fourth or fifth year going against this. It came so close. Like a couple of years back, I remember, uh, I think it was 2019 or 2020, he had like a crazy backdoor cover on us that made me really pissed off. So I really don't like this guy. And I really 
Uh, I know. And just imagine just to win. Just imagine how he like you really don't like him. He hasn't beat us. Imagine how he feels about us. This is personal for him. And well, yeah, that, that's I think that's I'm why the spread's is, so small. The spread is small because it's a true road game. And the power ranks are actually a lot closer than people think. You know, ECU, they're a missed extra point away from beating NC State in the opening weekend. And yep. NC State it was a top 10 team two weeks ago. So, you know, I, everyone on Twitter is talking about Cincy and game day and this and that. And um, I've told you weeks and weeks ago that this was the scariest game left on the schedule. Yeah. You and called it the spread reflects I, I it. Vegas agrees. Words. So I think this game is going to come down to the defense. In my opinion, this might be the best offense we've faced. I think that, you know, like I said, they're going to empty the playbook and really get it rolling on offense. And it's really going to test our defense. I think we're not going to have any problems scoring points on them. It's just a matter of, you know, I think this is going to be a real true test for the defense. Holt Naylor's pissed off. This is like a revenge game to the fifth power for him, you know. Um, I don't know, but but we'll see. All right. Sorry for, like, being out of order, but can we go back to the Temple game just real quick? Because I feel like there's two major, major points that I want to make. First— Oh, yeah. There's. <laughs> I didn't do any of my notes, so go ahead, and then I'll go. <laughs> Okay, first, I just wanted to talk about the run game and the running back room. I thought the run game looked very good. Uh, R.J. Harvey is really starting to stand out as more of like the every down back. Gus seems to be using him in a lot more situations. He has that pop, you know, that I always talk about with running backs. Bowser's still incredible in goal line situations. Um I saw, you know, something kind of out of the norm as him as a pass catcher, which is nice, you know, on those JRP scramble plays where he can kind of like go out and maybe take a defender, have John Rice run or be wide open and run for 50 yards. Be a little out. So, yeah. And, you know, they really haven't been using Johnny Richardson as much with the emergence of Harvey, but I still think it could be that, you know, sort of three headed monster with Richardson getting in space, you know, with uh, some draws or, you know, pitches or, you know, they always run O'Keefe in that motion, uh, like, like kind of wide receiver thing. pop pass. You know, who's faster than O'Keefe? Well, the only person that's even close is probably Johnny. So, yeah, I think they gave give him some, one of those. They gave it to him on some, uh, I forget what it's called, when he's in motion and they hike the ball and like, you know, just pass it right behind him or like hand it off. Um, yeah. jet sweep, I guess. I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, I mean the run game looked good. I think that's a byproduct of the offensive line playing real well. You know, we had quietly 304 rushing yards, but no single person had above a hundred. Uh, I know a lot of that came in garbage time, but you know, it's still a really good reflection of the offensive line. And then going back to, you know, the passing game, Kobe Hudson, Ryan O'Keefe, both had two touchdowns and over 100 yards. And then, you know, Javon Baker, I think he rolled his ankle uh, sometime before, like, the third touchdown. You couldn't really see it on the broadcast, but, I mean, it didn't look bad because he was limping off, you know, kind of favoring the ankle. But hopefully he's back this week because, I mean, he's been the number one guy so far. But it's great to see two other people 
and you know we know O'Keefe's talent, but you know Hudson really step up, and uh, you know we've got three really really talented wide receivers for JRP to throw to. Yeah, I mean Hudson, O'Keefe, Baker. If all are hundred percent healthy, line them up. How are you stopping that? You can't. You can key one guy, and we'll just you know go to the other two. Um, it's awesome, man. I I love this. We're I, back to scoring. I freaking points. love this team, dude. How many oh. games last year did we win? Like 14 10. <laughs> <laughs> At least two. Yeah. And it We're was scoring again. It was never exciting. It wasn't pretty. But hey, man, Mikey Keene got it done. You know, it, he was faced with almost the impossible. And uh, the season ended up being, you know, awesome in the end. Speaking of, you know, different right, quarterbacks. So br- oh. Yeah, I was going to say, glad you brought, brought him back up. Talking about garbage time and everything. Love seeing a lot of the younger guys get out there almost the whole fourth quarter. And, um, you know, even with the run game, Jordan McDonald, Jordan Ronald McDonald, I don't know <laughs> if that's going to stick or not. Uh, he got in in the end zone, which is cool. And I mean, the man, the myth, the legend, the real deal, Tommy Castellanos. Is he the true number two backup to JRP now? Is Keen kind of out of the picture? How do I phrase this right? If JRP, you know, maybe tweaked his ankle or something like that, I don't think there's any way that they put Mikey Keene in the game. And that's nothing against Mikey. I, you know, I love him and I'm forever grateful and indebted to him for what he did last year, but it just wouldn't make sense. He doesn't have any real game reps and Tommy's getting those. I, I don't know. But, you know, Gus has always, he's been known to throw a curveball. But, I mean, Tommy came in with, you know, three minutes left in the third quarter. He led us on a seven-play, 75-yard drive, capped off by his amazing 37-yard touchdown run. And then the next time he came in, or the next time we had the ball, eight plays, 68-yard touchdown drive. And that's the the first time we've really seen him in, like, I wouldn't say meaningful action, but it wasn't just, like, the last drive of the game, you know? He actually got to run the offense. And from what it looked like, it seemed like we were only running like the same four or five plays. But yeah, he looks good, man. And, you know, again, this is probably against their backups. I don't know, but I'm assuming that they might have pulled some people too. Maybe not, and that would be better. But, you know, I'm just taking it with a grain of salt. It looked great, but, you know, you never know. It was, it was also meaningless. It's not like there was pressure on him, which is probably the best time to get him reps. No, it was great. Uh I kind of thought, you know, to myself, like this dude is big, he's fast. There were accurate throws. Like, also reminded me of like a Justin Fields, like not the Bears. Justin yeah, I was Fields, say, like Ohio State. When Justin Fields was at Ohio State, I mean, that's why he was a top ten pick, or maybe he wasn't at least first rounder. But anyway, um, the guy's just explosive, man. He's just so explosive, and he fits this offense. A million people say that, but he truly does. I mean, this is Gus's guy, you know? It's this his, is his the, first the real future. quarterback recruit, yeah. And th- since this will be like his redshirt year or whatever, he's going to be a solid part of our offensive foundation for a long time. So interesting, it's interesting you bring that up, though, because if he gets any more game action, this won't be his redshirt year. And Gus was asked about that in the press conference, and he he deflected it well. But the way he answered it made it seem like, I I don't know, it's tough. And then another kind of wrinkle in that is that 
JRP still has another year left, and I mean, I I don't think he's gonna go to the NFL. I he's great. I don't. I just don't think he has the size. Who knows though? I mean, you know, we could be talking about him in a couple weeks for Heisman. If uh, you know, if the next if the ECU game goes like the last couple, and then you know, say we destroy Cincy, I think maybe there's talk. I, I don't know, but I don't think this is his last year. So if Tommy Burns is you know, red shirt this year, and then next year, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but eh, who knows? You know, none of it's under our control, so whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one week at a time, you know, look, uh, hopefully we don't need him for the rest of the year, but I, I think that getting the experience, especially against a solid, uh, American opponent and getting like a whole quarter, not just some like little mop up duty. That's what I'm saying. Like, like two solid drives was like insanely good for him. So yeah, I, the it was future awesome. is bright. We're de- um, we're definitely in good hands. A uh, couple right, other so things. enough of the temp. Oh, what you want what, more temple talk? Well, I mean, it's technically temple, but not really. What do you think of the jerseys? I thought the jerseys looked really cool. I personally do not own any space game uh merchandise but i will say that i'm seriously considering buying some uh of this year's breaking news (laughs) (laughs) i don't know because i mean i I don't really like to buy i don't like to buy stuff that like everybody has like you know me i like i like cool stuff i find on ebay or Things that I actually went to, like the, the games pe- that the, I went to, stuff your, like that. Your favorite polo is the Peach Bowl polo, the the player issued that I got you. Yeah, the Chick Fil A employee. Polo, I know I like everyone thinks. I know everyone thinks that when I wear it, <laughs> but it's like if you wear it around UCF, people get it. But if you wear it anywhere else, people are like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, they think you work at Chick Fil A. So no, but anyway. So what do you think of the jerseys? I, I, I don't really think you liked, answered. I really that. liked them. Yeah, I, I might buy. I might buy one. Ah, all right. So, you know, when they came out, a lot of people seemed underwhelmed. And I was like, I love them, but I'm also easy to please. Like, anything that's not the norm, I just think is awesome. But I really like how, you know, this is the most blue we've ever had. You know, maybe are we slowly transitioning into more blue? I don't know. But, you know, when they were on TV and everyone was together... And they had like, you know, the numbers popped and then the coaches all in blue polos as an accent. It really looked awesome. Um, And I think after the game, like a lot of people that were kind of, you know, like I said, underwhelmed originally uh, went back on their original opinion. This thing has grown from, you know, even from like the first or second space game we were at. I remember like two people dressed up as an astronaut and they literally got on the big screen like 10 times. Like after every play, they're like, Oh, we got to show these two astronauts. So now like, it's th- awesome. this is a whole movement. Everyone is so into this and whether you're for or against it at the beginning, like it's, yeah, it's just a wave of, of fans getting together and, and enjoying something, you know, that's special for our school. So I, I think it's really cool. I'm glad that everyone has bought into this. Um, and with ESPN and the announcers like going crazy over it, I, I think it's just it's just something else that's like unique to the UCF and the game day experience. It's awesome. Um, you know, Lewis Reddick 
is one of my favorite analysts on ESPN. He does mostly NFL, but he's also, you know, great college analyst. And Matt Barry, who's a sports center anchor, um, he's awesome too. But you could tell they were like really, really prepared for this. Like they had all the little quips, like, you know, like you did in your intro out of this world or blast off and stuff. Like they were using that to call plays as they happen. Like they had them in their back pocket. And yeah. then as the game got out of hand, they did a great job of just, you know, talking about the space game and the history and everything like that. Because, you know, it's one thing to be a good announcer when the game's going back and forth and you can talk about everything that's happening. But obviously the game got kind of boring and, uh, there was no real like awkward silence or anything. They were just spitting out facts about UCF and they did an amazing job. And, you know, we were definitely lucky to have like one of the better uh, announcing crews from ESPN. And, you know, I think uh, having the space game on a weekday, I know people hate weekday games, but I think the exposure we got from this was awesome. You know, it would be the only college football game that night, or at least the only important one. And also the Bears-Redskins game was a dud, so I feel like a lot of so people bad. are watching. But having those weekday games is important. I've, I've said this for years, if you guys have been listening, because we're not just mixed into like a bajillion college football games on Saturday. Yes, it sucks for fans, but the exposure we get, I think, is is you know really worth something, and especially for the space game where they can really show off you know what we're doing here at UCF. It, it was awesome. One other thing I wanted to say about ECU. A couple key points of what I, where I think this game is going to come down to because I'm obviously on the opposite side of where most people think this is going. Um, so <laughs> I think this is definitely going to be a way closer game than most people are expecting. ECU's lost to Tulane, Navy, and NC State. That's it. A couple key factors. One, this is an extremely low penalized team. They don't make a whole lot of mistakes. They're plus two in turnover margin for the season, which is in the top third uh, of the country. And they only average about 32 yards of penalties per game, which seems extremely low. For reference, we're at 62 yards per game. And And we've been pretty much at home all season. Exactly. Exactly. Colton Boomer, again, key factor. This could come down to, to a field goal. I have all the confidence in the world with this kid. Again, seven for seven on his field goals this year. Now, the ECU kicker, on the other hand, longest field goal he's made all year is 32 yards. So that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, if this came down to a field goal, do I want to put my money on the ECU guy that 32 yards is his longest, or do I want Boomer? Ice in his veins, all the confidence in the world, riding high, seven for seven. Yeah. Uh, breaking necks, um, cash and checks, or no? <laughs> you know, ECU also remembers, you know, Hale Perryman. They, they will never forget that one. And UCF has not covered in three straight against ECU, even though we were double-digit favorites, and I believe three in a row. So, yeah, again... It's going to be a way closer game than most people think. Smallest favorite since 2016. I think it comes down to a field goal. They carry Boomer off the field. I don't want it to be that close, obviously, but I just have this feeling that it's going to come down to either they carry Boomer off the field or like we get a field goal block or something to end the game. 
Yeah, just boom, saying. Boomer, um, snapping necks, cashing checks. I meant to say like kissing moms and kicking bombs or whatever his like slogan is. Um, dude, I'm with you, man. It feels like a trap game, but I think we're gonna be really well prepared, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we won by a couple touchdowns or if it was exactly like you said, but you know, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And I know that's what Gus is like pounding in these guys heads and T will this week leading up to this game. You know, we kind of had a half bye week with the Thursday game. That's another advantage. Um, ECU fresh off a 47, 45 triple or maybe quadruple overtime win versus Memphis. It was kind of weird because so it was 30, 30 at the end of regulation and then both teams scored touchdowns, and in the second overtime, they both went for two. I don't know if that's the new rule, but then yeah, the, I think the second overtime you have to go for two, and the third, you just like go, go back for, and forth with two, two point, point conversions. conversions. <laughs> yeah. So, on, all right. So they both went for two in the second, both missed it. Third overtime, they both scored on their two point conversions, and then on the fourth, ECU scored and Memphis didn't. So that was the game. But you know we're all fresh and they're, they're fresh off a, you know, really long game there. So I think that might have something to do with it too. I don't know. Like I said, it could go either way, but I'm excited as heck. Um, 7:30 PM kickoff on ESPNU. And then we've got, uh, Cincinnati next week, but one game at a time, but you know, as fans, we're allowed to look forward because that's what we do. So real quick, the AP poll came out, uh, after these games, Cincinnati five and one, ranked number twenty one. Tulane six and one, first ranking of the year, number twenty five. They play Memphis at home this week. Cincinnati's at SMU. Not that it actually matters, but we need to root for both of these teams to win. So then we get a ranked matchup for Cincy. Possible college game day, although probably not because they usually just go to UF Georgia in uh, Jacksonville. But either way, you know, we have two possible ranked matchups. And it feels like, you know, the 2018-2019 podcast years where we were looking at this stuff because it's been a little while since we're kind of in the mix. So definitely very exciting. Yeah, I think when was the last time we were ranked? 2019? Yeah, it was 2019. I think we're up to like number 14 or something like that. And then we started blowing all those games. Um Good to be back in the mix. Oh, what I meant to say, so we're third in others receiving votes, putting us at number 28. And if we yeah, win this so win this week, I win mean, this we're, week, we're ranked. We're back, dude. We're back. Oh, man. Real quick before we do picks. At the beginning of this year, did you think we would be in this position right now? I don't think we were this hopeful. I mean, this team has been, they've well, I mean, so far exceeded my expectations. It's insane offensively and defensively. Well, then I keep going back to the, oh, we just would have beat Louisville. Don't, don't, don't but are we in any different position, though? No. Like, since not since we're not in the Big 12, even if we went undefeated, I really didn't think, I don't think we would have the schedule to even make the playoffs. So we might end up being in the same spot, even with the Louisville loss, you just lose the undefeated season. And God, how could you go from me, like first quarter of SMU yelling, we're six and six team to, <laughs> hey, we're, we're going to, 
So, we're going to a New Year's Six Bowl. I don't know. Yeah, I'm somewhere in between. Obviously, those are the two extremes, but that's where my head's at. No, you're right. We control our own destiny for the New Year's Six, which, you know, obviously every team that wants to do that is in the beginning of the year. But being kind of halfway through, it's exciting to talk about. And not only that, how about this for a little spin? Was the Louisville loss actually a good thing? Because it doesn't really matter, like you said. We still control our own destiny, and maybe like we needed to experience a little loss instead of, you know, say we win that game, maybe we're riding high, a little too cocky and confident, heading into ECU, and then it could be really a trap game. I don't know, but, you know, since it didn't really matter, I'm saying it's a good thing. I don't know. No, it's not a good thing. It could be. (laughs) We still lost. Who cares? Like, it doesn't anyway. matter. It's, no, it doesn't get... matter. It's an exhibition game. We can. Yeah, I keep going back and forth. Dude, with we, that. We, so... we win all our games. We go to the Cotton Bowl. So it really didn't matter. All right. How about this? And I kind of already know the answer, but it will be kind of cool to see. So a couple of the bowl projections right now. I haven't seen a bowl projection that has us in the Cotton Bowl. But if we were to go to the Cotton Bowl. And say, all right, let me take that back. No <laughs> Cotton Bowl. But say we were to go to, I don't know, whatever the loser of the conference title game it's, goes to. It's either Birmingham or Liberty, usually. Okay, so would you want that? Or would you rather just play in the Gasparilla Bowl and hope that like Florida State or Miami, they put Florida State or Miami in there? I <laughs> I mean, it's tough because you because always. Because Florida State right now in Miami, they're trending towards six yeah. and six, seven and five. So, a couple things. Even if that situation pans out, I think both of those ads for Florida State and Miami are going to look at what happened to UF last year and just oh. be totally <laughs> against it. I don't know. If I had to pick, obviously, I'd rather. Yeah, but how could you be that against it? If you own the Gasparilla Bowl, you want this matchup. Yeah, but I think they could just refuse. I don't I don't know how this all works, but I, I get what you're saying, though. But then it looks bad if you're, like, backing down. What if it comes out? They're like, oh, Gasparilla Bowl won in Miami, and they ducked us. They just make excuses. <laughs> Dude, I, I don't know how any of this stuff works. That's I like... really would like to play Florida State. Honestly, I think it would be a pretty good game. I mean, I think I've watched a lot good, of their. Man. Yeah, I've watched a lot of their game tape. I think we would match up pretty well. A little Tatum buffoon on the defense. Uh, <laughs> I think that would be a really fun game. Who would McKenzie root for? Ooh, that would be tough. <laughs> You'd have to get tough? one of those like jerseys that's like split in half. No, Ugh. dude, he'd be UCF all day. I was, I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was joking when I said that. <laughs> Um, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but one thing I do want to say is that bowl projections are the stupidest thing ever because all the bowl games are, are a culmination of how the season went. So when a writer puts out a bowl projection, they're just kind of trying to predict how like us Tulane and Cincy do. So it's absolutely meaningless because the results on the field are going to dictate the bowl game. You can't predict the future, but I don't know. For for some reason, like, if someone was like, oh, here's, you know, how I predict UCF to play Cincy and then Tulane, they wouldn't listen to it. But if Brett McMurphy is just like, oh, I think Tulane's going to be in the Cotton Bowl and UCF's going to be in the Gasparilla Bowl, then it gets clicks. Yeah, You get what I'm saying? 
Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't know. People like predictions because people like to point out when you're wrong. Yeah, that's true. Just like my picks, people like to point out when I'm wrong. All right, so speaking of, now it's time for our favorite segment, Money Moves! Picks of the Week. 2-0 last week. Let's go. Big winner with UCF. Now 8-1 and all time when picking the Knights. An incredible record. Everyone got their house back after losing it in the Louisville game, so you can thank me later. Also won with Tennessee. Awesome game. Money line winner on a plus seven and a half. Hope you all took the parlay of UCF spread and Tennessee money line. Would have paid what, like plus five something? Yeah, not an official pick though. I mean, don't, you know, over toot your own horn, but the spread was free in that game. I mean, Tennessee up 28 to 10 in the first, uh, I don't know, first quarter, second quarter, something like that. I obviously was at the game and I was trying, I had a ton on the money line and also the same amount on the spread. I was trying so hard to just hedge the money line at that point because I knew it ended up being close, but there was no service in the stadium. It worked out good. And obviously, you know, if you have the same amount on the spread and the money line, the spread ends up being a hedge. Like if Alabama won that game, I I, I would have just broke even. So it worked out. But uh, two great picks, Moo. Now I am back to an even five and five on the year. All right. And we're getting back into the, the getting fir- back into the win column. In the the first the first two and zero oh of the season too. First so. two and zero oh of the season. Let's keep it going. What do you got this week? All right. Two big picks this week. First, we're going to take Memphis plus seven at Tulane. Look, Tulane, only big win was against Kansas State. Pretty meh kind of team, only by seven. This is their biggest test. Plus seven, not really built uh, to blow anyone out as this Tulane team, but Memphis, the ultimate backdoor cover team. Seth Hennigan airing it out all over the place. When you have a quarterback that loves to throw deep, Backdoor is always open for the cover. And Memphis's last two losses were a combined three points. If they didn't lose those two games, they'd be six and one. This spread would be closer to like even, maybe even uh, having Memphis favored here. So I'm taking Memphis and the points to Lane too big a stage. Moo, what did I just say? We need to root for Tulane and Cincinnati to win out until we play them. I, I know. I'm just saying, like, I. This is the value. The value is on Memphis. Now, I'm, I'm, Tulane I'm, win by a field goal. I, I now, mean, I'll be rooting for Tulane. Well, and not I if mean, you bet Memphis. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. Yeah, but, but, hey, I mean, can't... we play Memphis too, so Memphis, Memphis needs to win. I don't know. Memphis is not going to be ranked. Look, I'm just joking. I'm giving you a hard time. Look, you've got a system. you got to stick to it. And Hey, you this know, is my hedge. No, I'm, Either I'm, win the bet or... Tulane wins, and or it could end up being both. Or you just bet two. Well, that yeah. Or just bet Tulane and hope they blow them out. No, I'm with you. A couple really close losses for Memphis. That wait, what was it? SMU that came back? No, Houston. Houston, yeah. Houston with like the 23 points with like eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, and then what we just talked about the triple or quadruple overtime game versus uh ECU 
you're right. They could easily be um, a lot better than their record says. So I'm with you there. I'm, I'm still I mean, rooting for Tulane, uh, though. Betting on Memphis plus seven guarantees me something good happening. That's right? true. Yeah. Because I either win the bet or I could win the bet and Tulane wins or just Tulane blows them out and then we have another ranked matchup. So there's no way that I lose everything on this. See, I've you know got, what I'm saying? No, I, I get what you're saying. That's the emotional hedge. I thought I've thought about doing that before. With UCF, we're okay with emotional hedges here. Like, I no, you can't bet. You ever bet against UCF? No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying hypothetically. You know, someone I know was considering betting SMU versus UCF. Asking for a friend, people are asking. Yeah, someone I know was considering that, and maybe their thought process was, well, you know, if UCF wins, then you lose your bet, but UCF wins, or if SMU wins, then you win your bet but UCF loses, but then that person was like, hmm, why don't you just bet on UCF, and if they win, then you're double as happy. But obviously, it's way different when it's your team, so I, I'm just giving you a hard time, dude. I, I like the pick. It makes sense. Memphis better than their record, and uh, Tulane might be a little overrated, but we'll see. And they don't have a home field advantage at all. So, all right, what do you got next? Even with them being ranked, you don't think? I mean, their stadium's so small, it like, can't get loud. Sure. Well, <laughs> I mean, you've been there, so you know. Yeah. Um, okay, so Memphis plus seven. Second pick, we're going to go with TCU minus three and a half against Kansas State. TCU, surprisingly, I think they have an outside shot at making the playoff. It could happen. You never know. Texas, Oklahoma, down this year in the Big 12. Oklahoma State has a big ranked matchup this week. This game is going to be won by the defense. Two questions. Who can stop Max Duggan, quarterback TCU, and who can stop Deuce Vaughn, running back Kansas State? Max Duggan, 16 touchdowns to one pick on the year. High-scoring game, but I think TCU pulls it out. Something like a 45-38. Horn Frogs, minus three and a half, going to the playoff. Interesting. It's cool because, like, now I'm rooting for, you know, obviously the undefeated Big 12 team to get to the playoff because it's representation a little bit. Um, little, like, SEC uh, disease or whatever that they do because they're all like, oh, SEC. And it's like I've never yelled about my conference, but I've also never been in a good one, so I get it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear it. Um, all right, let's recap the picks real quick, and then we'll get to questions. All right, we're going to take Memphis – but really rooting for Tulane, plus seven, and TCU minus three and a half against Kansas State. Let's get, get that, that money. money. Last up, we've got Moose Mailbag, where we answer all of your questions. Thank you, as always, for your submissions. And right now, as you're listening, subscribe, rate, and review, please. That would be awesome. You know, takes two seconds. Say, hey, I love Money Moo. Sean sucks. Or vice versa. Moo's picks suck, but Sean's funny. I don't know. But if you could do that, that'd be awesome. Thank you. All right. First question is from Golden Knight 2. He asks, should there be stipulations for saying once a night, always a night? What about players that transfer early before they graduate or here a hot minute before they leave? Do you think there should be a commitment to UCF by players? 
before the fan base classifies them? Well, I mean, some people say that phrase once a night, always a night, but I don't feel like it's a widely adopted thing. You know, that especially with college football, you know, nowadays it's like everyone transfers in, everyone transfers out. There, there has to be some stat on like what percentage of kids actually stay like all four years, especially it's probably a lot higher in like the SEC or, you know, high the power five conferences but just gonna keep getting lower though i don't know i guess it depends on your on your mood and your morale towards you know the school i guess after you were here like you know some could say mackenzie milton is a you know he he transferred out of of ucf but then you know he still supports us 100 percent and He's a little bit different because he actually did graduate from our school. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, that's so like, a, that's the reason he's different. It's because he got his diploma. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess if you graduate, he didn't do anything UCF, important. Yeah, you are always. You know what I'm saying? But like, <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Like you, you had, you could have just been like he's a little different because he's you know arguably or he's definitely on our Mount Rushmore, <laughs> arguably one of the best ever to wear the uniform. But no, he got his diploma. <laughs> you know what I meant. So yeah, anyway. Yeah. I don't understand where the once a night, always a night thing comes in, but I guess it just depends on your attitude towards the school, you know, after if you were here for a hot minute and then like you have no affiliation with us at all, then I don't think you really care if you are always a night anyway. You know what I mean? No, I I know what you mean, but I mean, here's the thing. Even if someone like, didn't do anything while they're here. If they want to say that and support us, so what? You know? And I I have more of a problem with the people that, like, don't give, like, homage to us. But I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it, I'm never going to be against someone supporting our program, regardless of however anything went down, I, I guess is my point. Next question is from Tom Johnson. Lots of underclassmen getting some playing time. Why no Quan? Thoughts on quarterback redshirt situation? Burn Tommy Castellanos? Use Mikey as emergency. Lots unfold there. Uh, all right. So first part of your question, why no Quan? I mean, I think the receivers are deep as heck right now. And, you know, he's just a freshman. And, you know, a couple things. He could be redshirting. You know, is clearly we have a ton of talent at wide receiver, uh, which is probably the most probable thing. Actually, that that's probably what it is. But you know, maybe he's not living up to expectations yet. I know it. It kind of, I kind of thought he had to put on some size. Maybe that could be something. But you know, nothing against him. I mean, if he doesn't play this year, he's still got four more years. You know, there's plenty of time to develop. A lot of our best receivers only really got in action for two years while they were here. I mean, Gabe Davis barely played as a freshman, so I wouldn't overthink that. Um, second part of your question about the redshirt situation, and we talked a little bit about this earlier. I don't know. I mean, it's weird because JRP has a possible sixth year. Like, if this was definitely his last year, I'd say, hey, burn Tommy's redshirt. We'll get three years of him as the starter, and it won't matter. But if you burn it now... He's not going to redshirt next year. I don't know. 
But I, I think I'm just going to defer to Gus in trusting him. What are your thoughts on both of these? Yeah, pretty much the same thing. I mean, Quan, he could be dinged up. Uh, there's a ton of wide receivers. Like We saw first time ever Stephen Martin getting into the game. Had a couple big plays. He looked like a looked like a solid playmaker that if he didn't have, you know, the three beasts in front of him, that he could be in the mix too. Exactly. Uh, as far as the quarterback situation, kind of already talked about this. Tommy's the real deal. He might be the solid number two guy to where, you know, if there were if there were to be, you know, an injury to JRP, I honestly think they would burn his red shirt and use him over Keen. Imagine if that situation happens and they put Mikey out there. It just doesn't feel right. Not against Mikey or anything with Tommy. It's just like Tommy's been the guy coming in. But, you know, we don't know what's going on in the quarterback room or in practice or anything like that. Maybe we're just trying to get Tommy meaningful reps. And the whole time it's like, hey, Mikey, you're the backup guy. You know, if something happens, I I have no idea. Um, And hopefully we'll never know (laughs) is how I'm going to finish that. All right, next question is from Emily Bannister. Happy 25th birthday, by the way. She asks, One of Auburn fans' critiques of Gus Malzahn is his lack of ability to recruit and produce quality quarterbacks. Do you feel as though we're seeing the beginning of that here, or do UCF fans as a whole need to be more trusting in him as a head coach? Well, I think Tommy is really the quality quarterback already. Um, you know, Gus, I don't know if he's technically like the quarterback whisperer or or whatever, but this is the time for him to shine because this is finally his guy. You know, he's not working with Keen or, you know, even JRP transferring in. Uh, but he recruited JRP though. I would say that is like a positive towards Gus. He did, but But I, I would really like to see what Gus does with a full, like, from like seed to plant kind of thing, you know, just like starting out as like seed to table, <laughs> starting out as, and like growing and working with the same guy, you know, and, and you've seen what JRP's done from week one to now. Is he not a better, better quarterback? The It's been night and day improvement. And is it luck? I don't know. Is it Gus whispering in his ear? I don't know. So whenever someone says quarterback whisper, I was, for whatever reason, I just picture the coach like whispering in his ear like, hey, man, like, do, hey, you suck. Hey, no, hey, man, hey, man, just like do really good. All right, go. No, but uh, yeah. look, I, I think it's too early to, um, you know, say whether that's true or false with Gus. I think, you know, that was definitely a knock on him at, at Auburn. Bo Nix and... Um, Jared Stidham, I, I don't think they lived up to their hype as, you know, highly tied recruits. But, you know, again, it's tough to live up the hype in general at, at Auburn. I mean, you're, you're competing against SEC schools. But the early um, report card for Gus is an A+. I mean, Tommy's looked great so far, like you said, his first real recruit. And JRP, which, remember, with the transfer portal now, I mean, that is recruiting in a sense. And he handpicked this guy to come in, lead the offense, and I have no complaints about him so far. So I think that's the best way I can answer that question. All right, this next question is from RBJ. 
the goat. What's your thoughts on the defense? Many people are saying it's arguably the best in program history. It's me. I am many people. <laughs> First of all, the way you got to say that is people are saying, but I like where your head's at. Um, you know, I think it's it's a little too early to tell. Stats alone, I agree. It's, you know, first five or six games or whatever, this has looked like the best defense in program history. But at the same time, I don't think we've really been tested. So, you know, th- there's a lot left to uh, to look at, in my opinion. What do you think, Moo? Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Saturday, we will be tested. I, I will tell you that. And I think we're going to pass. Um, you know, you look at all say all three phases of the game really all three levels you know defensive line playmakers linebacker playmakers secondary playmakers uh i think we haven't the only knock on them so far is that we haven't created as many turnovers uh as some of our better defenses in the past so even even some of our not so good defenses in the past but great point there i didn't even think about that yeah, I mean, we're we're actually pretty low on the... I think we only have five takeaways this year, which is really not good. Wait, um, wait, is it though? I mean, being in our position, I think, I don't know, you know, if we can create some turnovers, we could do even better on defense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? 100%. 100%. So, you know, and I was very surprised at Temple. We no turnovers for Temple. Especially with a blowout game, you get you know, well, I mean, the you quarterback know, trying to throw it yeah, but, into places he shouldn't be, and so many three and outs. But no, you're right. I, he, I, his throws were just like hitting the ground, though. They were like never a chance. To, I don't know. Now you're right. Well, we'll see. You know, let's keep him to under twenty. That would be my goal this year. I'd like to keep every opponent to twenty and under. You know, because that's the high water mark uh, so far. Louisville. Yeah. Right pretty sure yeah and i mean 99 percent sure right now out of all 100 plus fbs teams we're fifth in yards per play on defense and that's to me one of the better metrics of anything you can look at points per game but you know the situations and stuff i feel like skew that but you look at yards per play what are they doing yards per play we're fifth what about second half scoring defense we gotta be number one one. i think we're number number one in red zone too i don't know uh we'll have to Get our stats How many guy. points have we given up in the second half total? Uh, I don't know. That's not like an easily looked up stat. No, I mean, look, we'll find it for you. Look at every box score. All right. Next question from Ryan DePentema. Where would you guys rank Danny White nationally in terms of current ADs? Curious if you guys are as high on the work he does wherever he's at I am. Okay, what he said actually made sense. What you said did not. I, 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 I <laughs> like getting the worst questions. I like read it well, wrong. It's not a bad question. It's just no. I you emphas- need to read I, the question I, in your head. I, emphas- <laughs> I emphasize. No, it's a weird. All right, where would you guys rank Danny White nationally in terms of current ads? Curious if you guys are as high on the work as. <laughs> all right, curious if you guys are as high on the work he does. Wherever he's at, as I am. What? He, all right, this guy <laughs> throwing a throwing a fucking comma, dude. <laughs> I mean, that is a pretty long sentence. I understand what you're trying to say, Ryan. Anyway, uh, 
no, I, I don't think he is. Look, he did good. Th- he did good things when he was here at UCF. But as far as an athletic director, you know, tenures for athletic directors at some of the major programs are like sometimes can be decades long. You know, and for him to be here, I mean, how many years is he here? Like four or five, four? something like that. Yeah, and, it was, and then gone. It was in five. Like a heartbeat. It was and five. He loved UCF, man. He was so about UCF, and he did some incredible things. But like, I just don't understand. I'm still kind of mad. I'm not mad that Hypo left at all, but I am still pretty pretty mad that that Danny left. Now Terry has also done an incredible job, I think, and especially stepping into those big shoes that Danny left him. And the the whole program was kind of like in a daze for, you know, at least a couple weeks because this was completely out of left field that all this happened, you know? Yeah, that was a weird time. So if you guys don't remember, Danny White got poached first, and then we just had no one to look up to, you know, as as all of athletics. Um, So, you know, you're mad at him for leaving. I get that. I mean, I... I was upset too, but you can't blame the guy. I mean, he had a ceiling here at UCF. <laughs> Tennessee has unlimited funds. And if he can turn their program around, which he's on the way of doing, even if the season ends up being a dud, this is the most excitement Tennessee football has had in 20 years. I mean, the sky's the limit for him. And, you know, it's kind of like that with, it's almost the same thing with head coaches coming to UCF. Like, we knew Frost was going to eventually leave. If Heupel, you know, continued to do well, you know he was going to get poached. And that's why I'm so thankful we have a guy like Gus because Gus has had that glorious SEC job with the huge payday. He doesn't need that. But, you know, for most coaches and ADs, it's probably a stepping stone. And just putting those words out of my mouth, I hope we can get Terry a raise. But the good thing is that with the Big 12 money we're about to get, we can probably afford to pay Terry a little bit more. We can probably afford to keep Gus here for as long as he wants to be. The other part of your question, how does he rank among ADs? I'm not qualified to answer that question. I mean, let's be real. We don't even know most college ADs because they're not really out there as much as the coaches. I will say one thing, though. After you know the goalposts went down at the Tennessee-Bama game, he did a very controversial fundraiser and raised 150000 in like a day saying, hey, we need to buy new goalposts. And a lot of people were like, well, you're Tennessee. You have like, you know, like I said before, unlimited funds. But to me, that's Danny White just, you know, kind of putting his own spin. He's like, hey, this is a great win. Let's raise some extra money. Kind of like how he took advantage of, you know, the Peach Bowl win. Because let's be real, at the time, none of us were thinking about claiming a national championship until we saw that clip of him. We were just happy to be there, but he's always forward thinking. And, uh, you know, that that's what I like about him. But, you know, Terry's awesome. I mean, there's not a more down to earth, like, person. You know, if, if you've met both of them, Danny's kind of buttoned up, and which is great. But, like, Terry's just a real dude. And uh, I, I really like the combo of, you know, him and Gus here at UCF. All right. Next question is from Jordan What will it take to pull off a big road win this weekend? Great question. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the game, but we didn't really talk about, I guess, what had to happen. I said that, you know, I think the defense 
this could be they could be vulnerable this week. Um, I just think we have to play like this is going to sound like very cliche, but UCF football that we've been playing all year, efficient and quick on offense and lockdown defense, and it should be simple. But you know, a- anything can happen. What do you think, Moo? I think the defense has to be locked down. Special teams, no mistakes. Um, JRP has to play. You know, I don't think he has to play lights out perfect, but he needs to again, no mistakes, and we need to make sure that the run game is is solid. If we can get the run game going, that's what's going to open up those passing lanes, space everything out. I think we're going to score a ton of points. Do you have a final score prediction? Uh, let's do. I feel like every time we do this, I say the same thing. 42-10. And I know they're always like in that realm. What what's yours? I'm thinking like 35-31. Moo. I mean, hey, you got to go with, you know, the moo math right there. I would love to be wrong. Love yeah. to be wrong. Hey, you, you got to go with your system, though. One other thing real quick. You know, if we win the turnover battle, like you said, haven't been creating or receiving a lot of turnovers, if we can really force them to turn the ball over, I think it'll be a blowout. Yeah, 100%. All right, last question from Stephen Leonard of 247sports.com. Opinions on different types of barbecue, and have you had vinegar-based East North Carolina barbecue? Hmm. Well, I do enjoy all types of barbecue. I guess really, yeah, I I do like the vinegar-based. I'm a big uh, mustard-based one, and I don't know where that's from. Mustard Uh, (laughs) moo. I like the like mustardy barbecue sauce. That's a that's like a Carolina sauce, but I don't know if that's Eastern North Carolina or what. That's a South Carolina thing. Very specific. Uh, Memphis Memphis is like the classic, but it's sometimes it could be a little too sweet. Kansas City too ketchupy. Texas no. Oh, that's my barbecue. I'm. I'm so five barbecue sauce, I guess. I'm so glad that I asked this to you and not vice versa, because I really don't even know the different regions of barbecue. Um, I will say that I did think about going to this game, and I almost booked a flight to the wrong Greenville. So that's how much I know, like the Carolina geography and stuff. Apparently, there's two, and uh, yeah, Central Barbecue in Memphis, which was actually recommended by your mom. Uh, a couple years ago is my favorite. I don't know what region of barbecue that. I guess it's Memphis, or well, maybe they're I mean, local. It would be Memphis, but I don't know if Memphis is like any. I mean, sort of like your standard barbecue sauce, but it's like pretty sweet. Like it's a very sweet sauce. I don't remember it being saucy. I I remember it being more like, ooh, this thing doesn't have to be thousand sauce because the wing is so good. Like like the meat and the stuff and like the seasoning. But I don't know. I mean, well, I, yeah. Then you could be talking about. Uh, dry, a little dry rub action. Yeah. Saucing it up. I don't know. I, I don't even remember if there were options, though. I mean, like, this is way out of my scope. Uh, you know, if you ask me, well, ask me about like sushi or something, I'd give you a better answer. You're like, oh, you know, Western Japan's got the anyone better. that has any rec, anyone that has any recommendations for barbecue at ECU, you know, tweet it out. We'll retweet you if people are going to the game. That way, everybody can enjoy the nice ecu barbecue good call all right let's wrap up real quick uh you got anything else to add uh went to first watch this week nice little treat for myself and the wife had the uh two for moo 
Always a classic for lunch. A little roast beef and Navardi. And the favorite chicken avocado chopped salad. Good stuff, man. I've been on the fall menu for like the last few weeks. They have this like corned beef hash thing that's really good. And then a butternut squash soup thing uh, with a little like puff of cream on the top. Very, very oh, good. A soup thing. <laughs> also known as a soup. <laughs> no, it's a bisque. <laughs> it's a bisque. <laughs> I don't know, but all their food's really good. Definitely, uh, you know, be sure to check them out. Oh, real quick. Um, Knoxville experience, right? Got to talk about that. Got a um, full tour of all their football facilities. And, I mean, I love UCF, and this isn't anything against them. But you can just – the amount of money that the school has and probably – is true for most SEC schools is insane. Their facilities are like this giant. All right, so they have an indoor practice facility, and then there's a giant ass building that's like a rectangle around the indoor pa- practice facility that's three stories high. Does that make sense? It's like surround the practice a practice yeah, yeah, football yeah. field with a three story building with like offices and everything has a plexiglass wind. It's so cool. Um, Peyton Manning has his own room there, which has a bar and like the most insane memorabilia. They've got both. He put both of his Super Bowl uniforms in there, like Jersey cleats. Like there's a little confetti stuck in one of the cleats. It's just cool. It's cool to see a school that's like steeped that much in tradition. And I know that's what UCF can eventually be. When I got there, Friday, you know, local news was on. They do the Saturday through Saturday weather forecast. You know, it says the little abbreviation, Sunday, S-U-N, you know, through Friday. But instead of S-A-T for Saturday, there's just a Tennessee logo. And that's how I envision Orlando being for UCF. Because this can this program is going to continue to grow. And I know eventually our whole city is going to revolve around UCF, just like Knoxville is for UT. Knoxville's not a little hodink college town like Tallahassee, where it's literally just the school and that's it. It's an actual city. And Orlando is obviously a really big city, and we can be even better than that. Like, I just envision Orlando in like 20 years where it's just everyone's wearing black and gold and like all about everything. I know we're going to get there. And uh, I think going to the Big 12 is the first step in that. But yeah, anyway, Tennessee was really cool. Charge the field carried the goalpost like a mile till my Achilles got really sore. Uh, but eventually they threw it in the river and got a bunch of cool videos and stuff in the uh, orange UCF polo. So great time. Shout out to Alex Fagan for hooking me up with tickets. He used to be the, uh, he's the guy in the red shirt on the UCF sidelines that did all the hand signals. I know you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it looked, uh, it looked like an incredible experience, but, like you said, like, I mean, UCF is well on its way to becoming, you know, something just like that. Yeah. And uh, not, not a college town, like a, a, a city, a college city that like revolves around the awesome school that we have there. And uh, we'll, we'll get there, man. All right. Last couple show notes. Uh, what do you think about the new boom chant after all the extra point? kicks from Colton Boomer do you think it helps him hurts him so I got a couple thoughts on this one not after I think it's as he kicks it and if I had to like guess I would say 
maybe we shouldn't do that on field goals that are more meaningful. But on the other side of it, if he just gets used to like knowing he's lining up in the boom and it's the natural flow, then maybe we got to do it for every kick. I think the only person that can answer that is Mr. Boomer himself. What are yeah, your thoughts? I think we should ask him. Because if he comes out and goes like, oh, you know, I love you guys and everything, but it kind of messes me up. Like, I highly doubt anyone would do it again. Yeah, I think no, he likes it. I think it's like an extra little soup, little little oomph of power. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And the more the more I talk about it, I think that you know he's not mentally differentiating between like, oh, this is an extra point, and this is a field goal. It's just gonna kind of be the thing. He's gonna be used to it. So I'd like to, I would say, like run it by him first. But I think we just got to do it for all of them. As long as he's actually, okay you know it. what? I think he would have already said something. Well, he has think about it. No, like, we haven't boomed a field goal though. I think it just started pretty much loudly last game, and he only yeah. But had, I'm saying like he had he ten knows extra points. That it could possibly happen during a field goal, so I feel like he sh- he would have said something already if it was in his head or whatever. Let's just ask him. I'll just tweet him as soon as we're done recording. Start a new movement. I hope he says he likes it. Wait, a movement. Because it's kind of cool. A movement. So it ends up being very loud. On yeah, do you can hear it? TV. Yeah, very, very <laughs> audible. I like it. All right, we'll we'll tweet him. Um, anything else? How about Latavius Murray in for the Denver Broncos, possibly stealing the starting job away from Melvin Gordon? What do you think? It's awesome. It's great to see him still there. I mean, that's you know your 2010 Liberty Bowl champ running backs don't normally last that long in the NFL. And I looked this up as he was playing. Did you see my tweet? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I was going to ask like, where would you guess? I would have guessed among all t- or among active running backs in rushing yards. I would have said he's probably 10th. He's actually fifth behind just Mark Ingram, Zeke, Derrick Henry, and Melvin Gordon, which he could surpass. Um, that's well. I mean, awesome. at that point, it's like it's just a war of attrition. Like for him to be in the league for that many years of running backs. I mean, think about running backs. The average, the average uh, career for just all NFL players is like two and a half years. Yeah. Running back has to be like half a season. Well, right, but <laughs> you're right. It, the average is like two and a half, three years, and for any running back, for a running back that's above average, I. I feel like they don't last like maybe seven seasons and he's at 12, I think. So yeah, I mean that, that's awesome. And uh, he looked good out there. He's explosive and you know, maybe he's the next Frank Gore. Who knows? That guy played till he was like 40 and is going to be a hall of famer. So Tay train, maybe stick it out for a little bit longer, you know? Cause I, I still think Brandon Marshall should be a hall of famer, but it doesn't seem like he's getting the, um, attention he should and i think matt prater will be but he's still in the league so you never know man you could be the next frank gore yeah for sure love to see it unless you own melvin gordon and fantasy is that you or mike boone yeah boone <laughs> eh, whatever um, anyways all right thank you guys for, so much for listening um again rate subscribe and review Follow Money Moo on Twitter at Money Moo UCF. Game this week, Saturday for once, 7.30. Plenty of time to do your chores, hurricane cleanup, and whatnot. What channel? And uh, ESPN U, I believe. ESPN Moo, yeah. 
I just wanted to say ESPN Moo. Oh, okay. Hey, some people got electricity back, but they don't have cable and internet, which, like, really sucks. So, I don't know if... Just hopefully you have it. <laughs> There's some, like, Xfinity hotspots and stuff. You can't have that as an excuse. I don't know. I feel like the they're game. not going to be listening to our podcast if they don't have internet. So, I'm just going to cut all this <laughs> Very out. Very true. <laughs> all right. Like, like Moose said, thank you, guys. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We will talk to you next week. Go Knights. Charge on. Look, this game is going to be won by the defense. It's two questions. Sorry. <laughs> Emily, like, going crazy. You got to um, attend, or? Uh, no, sometimes she just, like, yells in the middle of the night and then doesn't even wake up. She'll just be like, hey! Yeah, I feel like we do that. All right. Three, two, one. One of Auburn's fan, one of Auburn fans, jeez, it's like two weeks ago. <laughs> one of Auburn fans.